How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Adam Saying podcast, where you get to know a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, I'm honored to be sitting across from James Beck, who is a restaurateur, nationwide restaurateur, <laughs> and he has done an amazing job at sculpting the Atlanta market. Welcome to the show. Appreciate your time, Adam. Good hang out with you as always yeah awesome awesome so you know James it, it's very interesting for me just because like you know restaurants is something that I personally do and uh, we got co connected maybe somehow through a friend but I wanted to hear a little bit more about I guess your story how did you get to the point of you know doing these restaurants restaurant concepts so forth and so on uh, would you say that if you live in Atlanta that you've probably been to one of your restaurants before if you've been to Pretty much any Korean restaurant in Atlanta, you've been to a restaurant project that I've been associated with. Um, big or small, um, I've kind of helped all of them. And so I'd put my money on it that you've been to one. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm assuming that Korean barbecue, we're actually sit sitting in a Korean barbecue restaurant that you helped create. Uh, this restaurant is where? This restaurant is called Ari Korean Barbecue. It's located in Johns Creek, Georgia. Um, it's been here for about three years now. And... One of the things that sets this specific restaurant apart from any of the other Korean barbecue restaurants is the interior design and the aesthetics of it. Um, I don't know if you guys can see behind us, but it's not your typical run-of-the-mill Korean barbecue. It's upscale. They use higher-end meats. It's, it's upscale in every, in every way. So I definitely encourage people that are watching this to come check it out sometime, and I think you guys will love it. Yeah, well, you would definitely kind of push some shots in there, but, you know, uh, other than Ari, uh, tell me a little bit about your story. Like, how how did you first step into this industry, if you will? So, I grew up around restaurants. When I was in high school, my parents used to own this Japanese hibachi and sushi spot. and so In, in Atlanta? In Memphis, Tennessee. So okay, so you're from Memphis. Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Um, so, when my parents did that, I'm like this high school kid that spent all my time working at the restaurant. So from dishwasher, um, if you had a hibachi table here, I could do that for you. I could do the egg <laughs> trick, the volcano. I can, I can do all that Show stuff. Show me the volcano. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm a high school kid doing that on, at nights and on weekends. Mm -hmm. um, even back then, I've cooked for a few famous people too. Like That's awesome. If you're a wrestling fan, um, one of our regular customers there was Jerry the King Lawler. Okay. So I've done it for him. Uh, Jerry West, he's he was a like the GM of the Memphis Grizzlies That's back right. then. Okay, and I've, I've seen him there too. Um, Mike Tyson's big fight, uh -huh. that big Holyfield fight. Yeah, they had it in Memphis at the Pyramid, and yes. his whole entourage and came in and ate at our restaurant the night That's before. That's intense. That's intense. So, I've been around the rest, like restaurants my whole life, and it's just all I know. That's right. So, you know, you, you started in the restaurants. You learned, I guess, tricks of the trade. Uh, I, I guess, you know, what was one of the things that was most memorable during that childhood for you? The childhood, I think, my parents being first-generation immigrants, like, they had that work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. And I learned that work ethic through them. Mm -hmm. um, even though during high school I hated it, you know, like – always just at the restaurant working. Um, graduation night, it's a busy night. That's so right. As soon as graduation ended, straight to the straight restaurant. Straight to the restaurant. <laughs> and cooking Did you get for, paid? Did you get paid? I never got paid. <laughs> so I remember my high school graduation. I graduated, literally went straight from the graduation ceremony to the restaurant, oh 
change clothes, and then all the other graduates are coming in with their families to eat, you know? Did that ever make you feel some type of way? Was it like, oh man, like, you know, I wish I could be sitting on the other side of this table right now? 99% of the time, no. Mm. Because I saw how much my parents worked, and mm -hmm. I was just contributing and doing my part. Mm -hmm. So I really never felt that way. Got you. Got you. So, you know, you, you graduated high school. Uh, did you go off to college? What was your decision after that? So after high school, I actually wanted to get away from my parents, like oh, restaurants. So, I don't want to work anymore. <laughs> so I went to college at Ohio State in Columbus, okay. Ohio. Uh -huh. And so the first year there, I was like, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to enjoy okay. my time here. Right? Uh -huh. And I got through the, I got through up until Christmas break and I was like, I have too much time, right? And I would go to these like house parties and you know, we wanted money to buy you know, beer or go out to eat, but I didn't have that and I, didn't, I was too prideful to ask my parents for money. Right? Okay. So as soon as I got back from Christmas break, I got a job. Okay. And obviously what, what, what it was working at a restaurant. Oh, nice. <laughs> It, what I, kind of restaurant was it? It's called Charlie's Grilled Subs. Okay. So it, Charlie's Grilled Subs is like this big nationwide cheesesteak franchise. Okay. And the owner, Charlie, he's actually Korean. He, and he attended the church that I attended during Got college. you, got you, got you. So I worked at Charlie's for like three years uh, while I was in college. And then also did side work. I did hibachi because the okay. money was good. The tips okay. were good. And, and I've tried a lot of just different restaurant jobs. That's awesome. So uh, you worked throughout. So, you know, you started out with the idea that, you know, you weren't going to work, had too much free time and then decided to dive right back in. And then what kind of like turned this interest in actual creation of, you know, helping people create, you know, concepts, so forth and so on. So I've always wanted to do restaurants, right? Um, back in college, I just didn't know what type of restaurant and to what scale I wanted to do it. But it's always been a passion of mine. And working in small restaurants, big restaurants, after college, I realized that big restaurants just aren't my cup of tea. Like full service, um, Korean barbecue, or even something like along the lines of like a Cracker Barrel, like big spot with a lot of employees, that's just not something I want to do. What I'd prefer to do is do something smaller where I could replicate and scale. Um, and that's just more of what I focused on. So in industry terms, uh, QSR, yep. quick service QSR. restaurant. Nice. QSR slash fast casual. Nice, nice. So, so from that, you know, what, 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 where did that take you? You said that, um, okay, you graduated college. You, did you stop working at all these other restaurants at that time? Or? So as soon as I graduated college, um, my parents were going through some financial issues with the restaurant that they currently had. So they were looking to move. And they asked me, hey, where do you want to live after you graduate? Because they wanted to, I'm the oldest son. So gotcha. they wanted to live by me. So I was okay. like, I want, to, I want to live in Georgia. I want to live in Atlanta. Did uh, you come to Georgia before that? I visited when I was in high school. Um, I had a handful of friends here. Um, but it's like a six-hour drive from Memphis, so it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. And we had to come visit it. And I really like the feel, the vibe here. Um, the, the Asian population was bigger here. Correct. Um, there's no... Asians of Memphis. So, <laughs> so those are kind of things that drew me to Atlanta. Got you. Got you. So you, you, you made the decision to, I guess, you know, come to Atlanta. The family moves with you? So I moved down here first. Okay. So I actually moved down here, and the first business that I did here was a country buffet in McDonough, Georgia. Oh, what? This was when I was all of maybe 22, 23 years old. Got ago. you. So you started that? 
So I bought, I purchased an existing restaurant because okay. this country soul food type of um, cuisine is not something that I had any experience with. Sure. But somebody showed me the restaurant. I looked at the numbers. I looked at the operations, and I was like, "Oh, this is something I can do, and it's uh, easy to operate." So I purchased it and just dove in. Mm -hmm. And how was that? That was very fun, but very tiring. Um, probably that 22 to 25 years old period of my life was probably when I worked the absolute most. Yeah. How many um, hours? Let's talk. Let's talk like. To, to give the audience maybe some idea of what it takes. Seven days a week, 5.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. Wow. And I was there all the time. Wow. And so I did that for three years. And so after having experienced that, I feel like now I can do anything. That's like right. I basically lived in that restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so what's funny about that is, is you think that if you're working that much, you'd be physically tired, right? And I've talked to you about this before. So I used to, I'm married and I have two kids now. So that part of my life is gone. Okay. But I really in, enjoy nightlife, right? Sure. So during that period, like that restaurant, we would close at 10 p.m. at night. Okay. And I would make the 45 minute drive up to Atlanta. Okay. We'd go to the bars or clubs or whatever, stay out and party all night. Okay. Leave Atlanta around 4.30 a.m., go home, shower, change. And then just go straight to the restaurant without sleeping. And I did that for a long, long time. <laughs> and with that, it, it kind of tells about me as a person sure. and my personality where rather than like a physical tiredness of working, I have this like mental tiredness, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're at the restaurant all day, a lot of people would just go home and sleep after. But for me, that's like the worst thing. That means that when I go home, I close my eyes and I wake up, I'm just back at the restaurant mm -hmm. again. So I need to be out and be doing something that's outside of the restaurant that is interactive and that can like stimulate my mind sure. and make me forget about all those hours at the store. Sure. So it's, that's interesting because, you know, some, some people can't handle that. What, what's, what's the secret sauce? How are you able to kind of like, you know, go out there, uh, you know, do, do your job and then go out there and, you know, rage for however long and then make it back and then still step, step into it? Because, you know, I, I, I think that as an industry, there's, you know, a lot of people that kind of like, like to party, right? Like we're, we're kind of like this uh, industry that's very fun. Uh, however, you know, at times it, it seems as if that starts to take over. How are you able to kind of like balance the book? the two of them? So for me, it's what I call the escape, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's doing your daily grind, but what's your escape from them? I don't think that sleep can be your escape. Mm. I, for some people it could be, but for me it's not. So what is that escape? And having that escape, it kind of rejuvenates me and like revitalizes me. And my escape during that point in my life was, was going out. Nice, nice. All right, so uh, the three years pass. What happens next? So the three years pass, and if you've ever been to McDonough, Georgia, there's nothing there. And so, Except traffic. Yeah. So you, much traffic. Was there traffic back in the day, too? Yes, there was. Well, that 75 that traffic, it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> At all. The, the, it, it's not like the, uh, the highway gets larger or smaller. It's just always at that point. Anyways, there's traffic. Because when you drive down to Statesboro, you go down 75, right? Every single time. Or up. And I always get stuck at McDonough. So Without I don't know doubt. where that traffic comes from, but it's there. So after doing that for three years, I decided that I want to go to the big city with the big boys. I'm tired of making that 45-minute, hour-long drive 
you know. Want to be closer so that you don't have to travel as far to yeah. go party. <laughs> and so, so I moved up to Atlanta, and I, and at that time, I, I didn't, I thought that I wanted to pivot mm. out of restaurants. So I actually started studying for the LSAT because I temporarily thought that I wanted to go to law school. Okay. And so in Atlanta, there's all these different Korean bakeries, right? Sure. They're like Starbucks, but they just have like, there's the cafe portion and the bakery portion. So I go to this Korean bakery every day, sit there for like seven, eight hours and just study yeah. for the LSAT, right? And one day um, there was a mutual person that I knew that walked in with his friend and he introduced me to him. And that became my new business partner. Wow. And I worked with that business partner for like 13 years. Wow. Um, and that, that relationship recently just ended on very good terms. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of how I started on this track of where I am today. So how did that convert? So you're studying, and then they walk in, and then they, their introductions made? Introductions were made. Um, he kind of explained to me what he did and kind of what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And... What he currently did at that time was commercial real estate. So he would, it's called tenant rep. Mm -hmm. So he would find locations for restaurant owners or people that wanted to get into the restaurant business and he would find uh, real estate locations for them so that they could open their business. Mm -hmm. And so that day that I met him, I immediately stopped studying for the LSAT. So like two months of studying down the drain that day in that, and I, I stopped studying and I started studying for my real estate license. What made that, what, what was so powerful within that conversation that was like, all right, this is what I want to do? It probably wasn't the conversation as much as when I was sitting there studying every day for the LSAT for two months. Like with De anything, doubt inside. creeps, <laughs> like down inside, you're like, once, you know, once you fall down the hole, you're down there, right? Yeah. And I'm like, do I just stay down here? Do, like, I chose this. Do I want to keep going? But that conversation with him, I'm like, okay, this is my out. This is the sign, yeah. you know? So that day I stopped studying for the LSAT. Um, I went out and signed up for a real estate license course, mm -hmm. and I did that. That's Two awesome. weeks later, I became licensed. That's awesome. Uh, from there, uh, you are, you know, are, did you know that you were going to be partners with that other person just right out the gate, or was that just like the beginning of that? That was just the beginning of that. I didn't know where that was going to lead, but I liked where I thought that it could head. Mm -hmm. And so um, how, how that went was I started doing all these real estate deals for these local restaurant owners, right? Um, they would see a location that they, they liked or they'd ask me, hey, James, I have this type of restaurant. Do you know a good spot where I could do this? So I started doing all these real estate locations for them, and they were just absolutely killing it, right? And for me, it came to the point of, I'm doing this work for these clients, but they're making all the money. Mm, okay. They're making the big money. I'm making what I need to make, but they're making the big money. Sure. And so I was like, how do I change that? What do I need to do to change that? And so that's how I got into the development aspect of it. That's how I got into the design aspect of it. Um, and eventually, that's how I kind of came to build all these like turnkey restaurants for people. It's, it was never my plan or intention from the beginning, but these needs kept on popping up. And that's how it had the snowball effect to what I do today. 
So a few questions that I had in there, you know, uh, from the beginning, you know, did you already have a client base that needed like, because uh, of course, like you were, you're from Memphis, you moved down here. I mean, of course you have the restaurant down in Madonna and for like three years, but you, and then you start studying for the LSAT, but what, at what point did, were you able to identify, oh, I can find you a restaurant? Like what, what was that kind of like path like? So there was a lot of cold calling and just stopping by different restaurants and asking to speak to the owner. But there was just somewhere fate or things just happened. Um, this specific restaurant, for example, right? The owner, Mr. Lee here, he had a big Korean bakery that was in Duluth, Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. And I would go to this Korean bakery every day and like do work, like on the computer. And one day he just came up to me and was like, hey, what do you do? Like you're here every day on your computer. I see you working hard, like yeah. what do you do? And so that's how I started that relationship with him. And two years later, he's like, hey, James, I have, I want to do a Korean barbecue concept. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we're sitting today. Here. Awesome. So awesome. it's, I think, a culmination of me just doing what I do. And even when I don't realize that other people are watching, mm -hmm. that they are, and it makes them curious. That's right. And so I've developed a lot of relationships that way. So, I mean, obviously you've found a ton of success in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this strategy. You know, when you're looking at property, because, you know, Atlanta is huge. When you're looking at property, how do you identify if this is going to be the correct move or the inc or, or, or an incorrect move? Is there a way to do that? There's no surefire way. And if anybody, if anybody says that they do, it's not. Um, what is your approach? There, when you first look at when you're looking for a restaurant space, right? And me and you have had this conversation before where you want to find your target demographic, who you think is your main customer that you want to target. And you look at demographics. You know, you pull demographics for different areas, for different shopping centers. But I've told you this before, like, you can look at those all you want, but you have to drive there and you have to look at it because what's on paper doesn't, doesn't always, always reflect what's really there and we've looked at specific spaces before where on paper it's a home run but you go there and like something's just a little bit off mm -hmm. you know and so it's just going out there visiting locations not once not twice but in the span of a month going there 50 times multiple times a day staying just in the parking lot taking a look at you know what's going on i got you so even to the point of like i would go to the same spot every day and go to the same starbucks in that shopping center, like twice a day, they would ask me, they're like, why are you here every day, like multiple times, you know? I feel like that's a common theme when you show up to the coffee shops, everybody's coming to you. It's like, dude, you're working hard, but we have no idea what you're doing. What's going on here? That's good stuff. So uh, you, you've kind of like started out, uh, you, you start, you know, placing people, tenants into different restaurants. At what point, when, when's the, ne the next change? So you said that you started looking at design. Did you have a design background at all? I have no design background whatsoever. And even when it comes to the design, it's not something that I wanted to do. It's something that I had to do. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is I was finding these restaurant locations for these mom and pop clients, but they had these like very successful like one-off, two-off stores, right? So I would find them like an awesome location in let's say Buckhead or Midtown. And then I would start working a real estate deal, and the landlord would be like, hey, do they have any 
current yeah. current existing okay. restaurants. Uh-huh. We want to go check it out. And so they would go to the the landlord would go to these restaurants and check them out, and they did not look pretty <laughs> at all. And so I wouldn't be able to get these deals. Done. Really? So they would say no. Yeah, they would say no, and then. When they would say no, you know, I'd push and prod them a little bit. Hey, why? What's the problem? Like, if it's something I can fix, I'll fix it. Sure. And they'll be like, you know, like, to be honest, James, the aesthetics, like, it just doesn't look good. It's not something that we want in our center. That's interesting. Like, okay. So from that moment on, I, was, I talked to my clients and be like, hey, this is the reason. How about when you do your next restaurant, I'll help you design it and make it look better. Free of charge. Got you. And... I started doing that, and when the restaurant started looking better, I, w- I was able to do more commercial real estate deals because the landlords liked how they looked. And so I never wanted to do it. I sure. had to do it. No, no other choice. Forced to. So uh, was, there, was it acceptable at that time? Um, let's talk about the deal that kind of like fell through because it didn't look the part. Was it acceptable to be able to offer plans or they wanted to see kind of like the pre-existing facilities also reach that level? Well, the pre-existing were already there, so there's not much you can do. Sure. And people aren't going to dump money. But what I started doing from that point on was any new deals, I would incorporate the new design and the new look. And that way, over time, I would have a better portfolio to mm-hmm. show the landlords. Got you. Got you. And then so the landlords would like what they saw bring them in so you now have kind of like infiltrated the you know the buckhead midtown market then what happens so you've kind of like you know started you're you're doing tons of restaurants and and just as a as a number rough number of you know the amount of restaurant projects that you've been a part of how many would you say um not exact count but somewhere in the neighborhood about 150. that's crazy within a time period of of about 13 14 years 14 years that's more than what that's eight eight or nine a year what yeah so if you break it down like that like if you just hear the number 150 yeah it seems big uh-huh. but because i've been doing this for 13 14 years like eight nine restaurants a year it's manageable i don't know eight or, eight or nine restaurants a year still is a lot that means that you have to be opening like consistent how many projects do you usually have uh, on the table at once? So on the table at once, there's somewhere between one to three at various stages going on. Mm-hmm. Because some restaurant projects, they're three months, some they're a year. So there's always something going on at different stages. Mm-hmm. Got you. And, uh, you know, the the different stages that are out there, I guess, you know, how does one get started? You know, some some people in the audience might be interested in starting a restaurant themselves. How would you guide them through that process? So it's funny because anytime new clients come to me, uh-huh. the first question I ask them is, have you ever done a restaurant before? Okay. And then they'll say no. Okay. And I'll say, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy you this cup of coffee, have this conversation with you, and you go home and you don't think about it again. Okay. And I really, because I know what that life is like. And if you don't love it. Yeah it's going to crush you. That's right. And that's why you see a lot of these, that's why the restaurant failure rate is so high is people, people think owning a restaurant is like fun and cool, right? And there is that side to it, but it's a daily, daily grind. It's a ton of work. So much stuff going on with employees, food, rent, like so much stuff going on that people don't think about that side. Mm -hmm. And so I literally tell people, walk away. Uh 
Um, and so you get some of those crazies that like, no, 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 I, I really want to do this. And what do you tell them? So the second round, what I say <laughs> is, and this is something I've really said to people before. I'm like, hey, just write me a check for $50,000 today. Don't do this restaurant. And over time, I'm saving you $300,000. <laughs> Okay. Um, there's people that that's rubbed really the wrong really? way, but I, I meant every word. Uh -huh. And there's people that are more intrigued by me when I say that because not a lot of people turn clients away. If somebody's sure. willing to do a restaurant, most people are like, come yeah, on, bring come it on, on. I'll yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. But restaurant is a lifestyle and it's a livelihood, right? If you, most people that start with these small restaurants they're pouring their literal life savings into this first restaurant. So if it doesn't do well, their future does not look good. And that's not something that I want on my conscience. And so I tell them everything and talk them out of it. And if they still want to do it, I'm like, okay, maybe they, you know, they have what it takes to grind it out and stick with it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think what, what I hear that you're doing is being extremely selective on who your clients actually are going to be, right? So you, you have one stage where you're like, hey, like, don't do this. The next stage is like, hey, no, 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 you really don't want to do this. And finally, if they say, okay, well, we're in, then, you're, you, then you start the process. Yes. Got you, got you. So I've had clients on both sides where after they did a restaurant with me, we have an honest conversation and they'll tell me, hey, I should have listened to you. Mm. Um, and they regretted it. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you don't know whether you regret something or not until it's actually done. So for them, it's like an itch that they had and it scra they scratched it and now they know. But, you know, it is what it is. That's right. That's right. So, you know, uh, from that, this, you've, you've seen so many restaurants and you've been on the inside while, you know, helping move these restaurants. What do you think is the determination of whether a restaurant will do well or not do well? So for me, I think there are four things. The first one is, and they all hold a little bit different weights, but the first one is location. The second one is the food. And the third one is management slash service. And the fourth one is the one I, I hate saying because I don't want to give it any credit but doing what i've done over this amount of time i've learned that it's a real thing and it's there and the fourth one is luck mm. and i hate saying that because with luck you have no control over it doesn't matter how hard you work or what you do or whether you're good at something or not sometimes it just works that's right and there's no rhyme or reason to it and i've seen that happen so many times i can't like not include that anymore that's right. But it actually pains me to say that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel that too. You know, that's the, the, that luck word has often deterred me in, 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 in conversations that we've had. Um, but, I mean, it's undeniable that it, it is an aspect of it. Um, so going back to kind of like your journey. So, you know, we've kind of like started opening a ton of restaurants. What's kind of the current move? Does that take us to current day? with the 150 restaurants? So if I could go back and talk to my 25-year-old self, I would have things, I would have done things very differently. Okay. Um, I would have 
not developed so many restaurants for clients, but I would have just focused on doing my thing and growing my core business of owning and operating restaurants. And instead of flipping or selling them, I would have held them long term. Understood. But greedy 25 year old James, <laughs> I wanted to make that quick cash faster and I wanted these bigger payouts. So I would flip them or I would just try to do more projects as opposed to holding them long term. Mm -hmm. So in this current stage of your business, uh, is the next move to kind of like hold on to, like create concepts to hold on to? Yeah, so that's my new thing. Um, taking my own advice and going back to just doing these new concepts that I want to do and holding them and not selling them. So let's say up until this point in my career, I've done 150 restaurants. My new goal would be from now till when I retire, that'll probably only be maybe 40 or 50 more restaurants total. And Got that's you. best case scenario. Okay. But these restaurants are all going to be units that you are holding on to, yeah. correct? So what are the concepts? If you don't like, what, so, are, what are the different concepts that are out there? There's a new concept that I've been working on and it's kind of a spinoff of a current, current concept that I have called Prugogi, which is like a, uh, it's a fast casual Korean rice bowl concept. Um, I've done a few locations of those, but I've learned what I needed to learn by doing those. And I've created a new concept called One Kitchen. Mm -hmm. So W-O-N, the Korean currency, One Kitchen. Okay. And it's going to be a more traditional, authentic Korean rice bowl with high quality ingredients, um, probably focus a little bit more on uh, non-GMO, you know, Got you. organic chicken, stuff like that. Because I think that that's kind of the wave of the future. Got you. So I have a lease signed for a food hall in Knoxville, Tennessee that will launch in 2023. Okay. But I am currently looking for locations here in Atlanta. Um, and in 2022, I'll probably do two locations. That's awesome. So, you know, you make it sound so easy. Like, you know, when you say like the two locations, it's kind of like just, oh, like, here you go. Um, you know, for, for you, I guess because you have done these many concepts, it, it feels uh, a little bit smoother than most. But, you know, how do you make that call of like, oh, I, I think I'm going to do two? Like, how, is that just something that you feel internally? So it's a time clock that I put on myself. Okay. Um, but also in the restaurant game, there's so much competition. And if there is a concept that does well, copycats will pop up. Immediately. Everywhere. And if you're not on your game and if you don't do it fast enough, you might be the original, but the copycat's going to overtake you soon. So yeah. you have to be on your game. And it's almost like protecting what you have. You know, mm -hmm. um, for for, you know, the clients that you do have, um, tell me about a time when it has become the most challenging for you on the business side. So from the business side, it's managing these projects um, for this for this project. It's a two million dollar project. Mm. Right. And so from. When we first start projects, I sit down with the owners and I tell them, hey, this is what I think that this project is going to cost. From my experience and having done all this, this is what it should cost. But there are always things that pop up. Mm -hmm. um, during construction, there might be something that we could not have known that was an issue. But after we dig up the ground, we see something that's there and we have to fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, in the business that I do, 
problems are only solved by money. There's no other way to solve these problems. So, and they're not cheap problems to solve. So you add $50,000 here, $100,000 here for these different unforeseen issues. It starts to add it up. It starts to add up. And if you don't have the backup money to with like handle that, handle it, yep. then your project's kind of doomed to start. Mm -hmm. Is that what you see kind of like often in the, in the industry? Not often, but when it happens, it's bad. Mm. Um, just because I've done so many restaurants now, I know kind of the things I look for. So if it was an issue before, you can bet that next time that's the first thing I'm checking for. That's right. You know? And so once you do all these, you kind of know all the things that you need to look for. Mm -hmm. But even then, you can't catch everything. It's just not possible. And so if you want to do restaurants, um, if somebody says that they have $500,000, right? Um, and that's how much they can do towards a restaurant. Well, we probably need to work on maybe a $300,000 project and they hold on to $100,000 of that as backup capital because no restaurants do well from day one, mm -hmm. you know? And then you have a, another $100,000 left to weather the stormy days. Got you, got you. So it's to build in that cushion. Don't make it so tight. Mm -hmm. uh, changing directions now, you know, one of the questions I have for you because you are an uh, industry leader, what do you think about the food scene that's happening in Atlanta right now? The food scene in Atlanta has gotten so much better over the past 10 years. Um, the speed at, in which Atlanta catches up and brings new trends on, I think that gap used to be like four or five years. Mm -hmm. So you would see something in LA or New York or you know bigger cities internationally, and we'd get it in Atlanta four or five years later. I agree with that. So basically, Atlanta would get it when that concept or new trend is already like dying or dead in these bigger cities. But now with social media, with the internet, and just the world becoming a smaller place, I think now we've gotten that gap down to probably about a year. Wow. So we get things pretty quickly now. Anything that's starting in Atlanta and spreading out yet? So for the listeners that don't know this, Atlanta is the chicken wing capital of the world. <laughs> you will not go to anywhere else in the entire world where you see as many chicken wing restaurants mm. that you do in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And it used to be this big Atlanta thing, and it, it slowly spread through the southeast. But now you see chicken wing spots opening up in L.A. You'll see them in New York, Chicago, like that's one thing that we've been able to send out. Understood, understood. And last year during the bubble for the playoffs, um, Lou Williams, he got in trouble for going to eat chicken wings at a strip club. Did he? Yeah. Okay. And his favorite is lemon pepper wings. And so they named <laughs> this like these chicken wings, you know, after him. But uh -huh. it's funny, like chicken wings is a huge thing. That's right. That's right. What do you see coming up next, uh, like, you know, trends or ideas or concepts that you think that, you know, have some steam to them? So I think, and this is what I'm focusing all my time on now, are Korean concepts. Mm -hmm. I think Korean is the next, it's, it's already started, but it's the next big thing. Mm -hmm. um, with the popularity of, like, BTS these days. Like, sure. I have Korean restaurants now, and I have... Not a lot of non-Asian people come up to me and speak to me in Korean. It's crazy. They 
tell me about these like Korean dramas that they watch, and they'll tell me about. I don't watch it. Like they know more <laughs> about it than I do, you know. And something that just happened recently that really told me that Korean food and Korea as a country is going to be on the map is when Pibigo. They did a $100 million sponsorship deal with the LA Lakers. Oh, wow. So on the LA Lakers jersey, there's a Korean food company's oh, logo on their jersey. So that's I'm crazy. like, okay, I, I'm, I see that, and I'm riding that wave because mm-hmm. I'm not the one paying $100 million, but I'll, I'll ride the wave that that's creating. That's right. Do you think that, so uh, from the Korean food side, I mean, you know, how would you describe uh, the Korean food culture overall? So, so obviously barbecue. I mean, that's a huge staple. What else? So Korean barbecue is really big these days. Um, but more than Korean barbecue, I guess what I personally like is just the more traditional Korean dishes. Mm-hmm. And that used to be something that really only Korean people or like other Asian people ate. Mm-hmm. But now when you go to these up Korean restaurants, even the traditional ones, you see that demographic of very mixed people. Like mm. People are these days are more willing to try new things. And when you try new things, obviously there's gonna be things that you don't like, mm-hmm. but you're gonna find things that you find really good and really tasteful, and you'll continue to eat those things. That's right. So, you know, we have uh, one kitchen mm-hmm. to look forward to. Um, what is on the horizon for Mr. James Beck? So, right now, my biggest internal battle right now is so i have a two-year-old and a three-year-old daughter so emma and pull me right so i love opening these new restaurants and doing these new concepts but after having kids i like i want to spend time with them Mm. so literally it's like an everyday struggle of i want to work more but i want to spend time with them so Mm -hmm. i'm still in the process of figuring out what that right balance is for me so um so with what doing two one kitchens for 2022, that's actually kind of taking a step back a little bit and taking things slower. I could, if I really tried, I could probably maybe push out four to six, Mm -hmm. but that would take up all my time. Mm -hmm. So take it a little bit slow and trying to figure out. That work-life balance, right? How do you do it? So, I mean, obviously you like spending time with the kids and you obviously love what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you, do you ever, does it ever come to a point where you're like, okay, stop working spend time with family or is it kind of like this blend that kind of like transitions back and forth maybe maybe you crack open your laptop at, at home or what does that look like so every day it's it's something different and something new so my day-to-day schedule is kind of crazy and hectic like I couldn't really tell you today what I'm going to do tomorrow because I get just like these random phone calls that I have to take these meetings with so it's Finding the time today to do what I need to do today and then spending that extra time with my kids. Or there are days where I'm like, okay, I've been really busy these past three days. I need to take today and just put everything off and spend it with them. Got you. Got you. Um, You know, just as a final question, words of advice, you know, for for the, the budding restaurateur out there. What, what would you say to them if you had, you know, one thing to let them know? So one of my new, not even new, but one of my things this year um, that I've really been focusing on for me personally, and it's this phrase of do what you say you are. Mm. So if you say a, you're a runner, 
and you don't run, are you really a runner? No. If you say you're a hustler, you're a grinder, but you're not hustling and grinding on an everyday basis, that's what you say you are, but that's not who you are. Mm. And what made me think of that is um, just through my faith, right? Through my Christian faith, I say that I'm a Christian, but am I doing the things that a Christian would do? Mm. And sadly, the answer at that time was no. So that's a focus that I've been that I've been really thinking about this year. I think that's advice is not only for restaurateurs, but I guess people in general, right? Uh, I think we live in a culture where it's very much, you know, people can, it's so easy to say that you are something, but it's not so easy for, you know, to, you to actually do those things. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the things that I, I typically do is I don't actually try to put a label on myself. I wait for other people to call me something before I actually use that, right? And I think that that's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I th I'm so excited for the future. Uh, I think that, you know, you have this wealth of knowledge and experience to be able to kind of execute on your dreams now. And um, just very inspired by everything that you've been able to do. And I'm, I'm looking forward to everything that you do moving forward. So if I could plug one thing at the very please, end. Please, please. So me and you have been talking about me starting a podcast or a vlog for a long time now, and I've been putting it off. So I, I've been working on it a little bit, but now that I'm going to verbalize it okay. to you and also to the audience, Love I have it. to do it now. Love it. So if everybody could just be on the new lookout, um, I'm going to start a podcast. It's called Restaurant Appa. Okay. So Appa is? Appa is dad in Korean. So... It's the two things that take up the most, the most time in my life, doing restaurants and being a dad. But it's also the two things that are on the total opposite extremes of what I know. Yeah. So the thing I know most about in life is doing restaurants. The thing I know least about in life is being a dad, being an appa. So um, this podcast will be focused on the aspects of both. Awesome. Awesome. Go, guys, go check it out. Uh, follow James Beck. What, how about uh, any sort of contact information? Do you have Instagram? So Instagram, you can look me up on Restaurant Appa. So Restaurant, then Appa, A-P-P-A. Mm -hmm. um, or if anybody's interested or has any questions about opening a restaurant, um, you can email me at restaurantappa at gmail.com. Awesome branding. Super excited to see it. All right, man. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs>